Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Our guest is Dr. Ronald Keith Barrett, and we are going to talk with him about cross-cultural aspects of grief. Dr. Ronald Barrett is a professor of psychology at Loyola Marymount University in Los Angeles. He is an internationally recognized specialist on the study of cross-cultural differences in death and dying and a specialist on African-American funeral rites. Welcome to the show, Ron. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. Hey, Ron, it's great to have you on. Well, I had to call Ron, and we had a a little discussion because I think some of the very beginning cross-cultural issues of of grief and loss are, are for me, as um, a Caucasian dealing with Ron, who is an African-American, is nomenclature. And I had to say to you, Ron, do you like to be called black or African-American? Or Can you talk a little bit about nomenclature? Because I think in grief and loss it's important because how do families get dealt with, dealt with? Do they feel included uh, when they go have the hospital experience or the funeral experience or have a loss? Uh, it can be a touchy area, can't it? Yeah. Um, in the area of cross-cultural uh, studies, we think it's important to honor people's uh, cultural and religious traditions and their backgrounds. So I think it is important to to pay attention and be sensitive to how people identify um, so self-reference or their identification is key. So you can uh, listen for that in terms of uh, listening for how people uh, refer to themselves. Uh, you may also pick up hints of that in terms of people's presentation, address. If you have the opportunity to visit people's homes, oftentimes their artwork uh, and the way in which they a point their living space will tell you an awful lot about um, how they uh, sometimes identify. Uh, sometimes this th- that identification is very, very, very evident and very, very, very um, present in the environment. And then sometimes uh, in the absence of information, it's okay to ask people, how do you identify? You know, how, how would you like to be um, uh, to be identified? Um, there's a growing literature to suggest that uh, one of the conundrums that we're facing with the uh, 2010 census, and I think in the research and work in general, is that there is a growing uh, population of people who are what we call mixed race. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be an interesting conundrum, meaning they don't neatly fit in any category. Uh, so um, we like have... Obama, uh, our president... I said like our President Obama. Yes, and also like Tiger Woods and many others. That, right, uh, and our people in Haiti, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. So I think it's very important to, to uh, find out how do people identify it. And if they have strong cultural and religious traditions that are part of their experience, it's important to honor that. Mm-hmm. My experience has been that people generally, in the course of their lifetime, in times of crisis, particularly when there's a loss, an illness, or health crisis, people tend to revert back to their earliest formative experiences, typically, for example, how they were raised. 
Mm-hmm. So uh, it's often that people will, uh, in their adult life experience, people may migrate great to something else or people may change. Um, uh, but typically, in terms of crisis, people, t- we tend to revert back to that which is familiar, that which is comfortable. And very oftentimes, those early formative experiences, those are the things that we draw on. Now, you were t- I read uh, an article where you talked a little bit about your mother's death and her experience in an intensive care unit. And talk a little bit about that, because for your uh, African-American background, you want a community and family, and uh, our ICUs don't let that happen often. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, uh, most critical care facilities... Uh, they are organized um, primarily with the best of intention to try to preserve life and provide, you know, quality of care for people in uh, caregiving situations. Um, and a lot of times uh, some of the notions about how we organize caring environments tend to be um, somewhat arbitrary um, Although, uh, for example, um, in the NICU, they're insistent on limiting the number of visitors. Well, that has practical, I think, ramifications in terms of space and uh, the congestion in the NICU. So they want to limit the amount of people uh, and clutter in a space. So that I can understand that. But there are other um, little things that we can do to make... Um, critical care facilities, more user-friendly um, without sacrificing too much in the way of um, quality of care. Now, how did, and, you, how did you deal with it when your mother died? Did they let your family come in, or did you have to ask them, or how did it go personally? I, well, knowing uh, what I was dealing with, um, I didn't ask permission. I just, um, with some degree of sensitivity, I just gathered the family members around that critical moment when we when we decided that we needed to have a moment of prayer, um, you know, there must have been about 21 people who came into wow. the room. We circled the bed, and um, we um, lifted her up in prayer and, 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 and had a, a wonderful celebration. And it was a way for the family members to emote, to participate, and to grieve at, at that critical moment. Uh, well, it's so fabulous. I have chills hearing about that. Yeah. Um, that you all and, got um, together and were able to honor your mother together and, like you said, pray around her in those last minutes of her life. It's amazing. Right. And we did it in a very respectful way. It wasn't boisterous so that after we did our thing, we were very respectfully, you know, left the unit. The nursing staff, they were very accommodating. They were very gracious. Nobody came in and told us we couldn't do this, we couldn't do that. So, Oftentimes, uh, staff will work with families. In most cases, they will. We only hear sometimes horror stories about insensitivities to people in caregiving situations. That's probably, in fairness to say, that's more the exception. So what if I've had that experience, Ron? Talk about anger. I mean, did you have any anger around your mom's death, or do you have any suggestions for me? If I'm hearing your story and I'm thinking, wow, I wish that had happened to me and it didn't. Anger was a very, very, I say, I describe it, anger as my constant companion my first year. Um, and it was, it, it started during the time of her illness, um, and certainly it what was What did your very, mother very, die of, by the way? 
I'm sure people my, know that. My mother um, um, was not unlike many African Americans uh, who grew up in the South. Um, growing up in the South, and um, because of lifestyle choices, and um, I think genetics, um, she had an early predisposition to hypertension, mm-hmm. and consequently died of a stroke. So um, um, there's a lot of research about the stroke belt in the uh, southeast in terms of um, the prevalence of hypertension and um, hypertension-related illnesses uh, for people who um, identify who come from those areas. Um, so that was a part of our experience. So she... Um, uh, unfortunately, succumbed to a massive stroke and was in a coma for 21 days. So it was a very, very, very trying experience. I think it was perhaps one of the most challenging times of my life. Wow. Uh, how, how old was she? Uh, 69. Um, and not that relatively old. Relatively yeah. speaking, that's fairly young. That's right. Mm-hmm, it is. Um, the older I get, the 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 the, the more the I, I re- reconsider what I think old is. So maybe there's some. <laughs> I turned seventy this year, so I think it's very young. <laughs> exactly. And, and you know what, Ron? I love what you said about during the first year, the anger was your constant companion, because I think that is so normal. And yes. sometimes people equate the anger anger as being a negative and a bad thing. Right. And right. a non normal a non normative reaction. Right. And my research in terms of cross-cultural research, um, by the way, uh, shows that men tend to access. Society gives men more permission to be angry and be boisterous. Mm-hmm. Um, women are not given as much uh, latitude. Uh, otherwise, um, uh, they call uh, females who are boisterous and angry, you know, uncomplimentary things. They call you the B word. Right, uh, exactly. Uh, I wanted Ron to give us his website, and then he's uh, coming out with a new book he's writing, which will, is that going to be on cross-cultural, and what will your new book be about, Ron? Uh, the book project that I'm working on is a book uh, to be released by NYU Press. Um, the title, the working title that we have is Soon, Very Soon, Death and Dying in the African-American Experience. Um, and in that book, what I uh, propose to do is to honor and explain a lot of the rhyme and reason of the African-American tradition and funeral customs. I also am taking to task uh, the challenge of trying to explain some of the uh, morbidity patterns among African-Americans, and that is, for example, why is there a higher incidents of stroke and hypertension among African-Americans. What's that all about? How do we explain it? And what do we know about it? And then how do we address it? <clears throat> so those are some of the kinds of health issues. Oh, that um, sounds great. We'll look forward to that. So give us your website for folks out there. Uh, the website is my name. It's www.ronaldkeithbarrett.com, R-O-N-A-L-D, K-E-I-T-H-B-A-R-R-E-T-T, all one word, dot com. Uh, and there, um, uh, readers can find, uh, articles, presentations, and other tidbits about, uh, me and, uh, upcoming engagements, so on and so forth. 
That's great. Well, thank you, Ron. Now, Ron, you were talking a little bit. Your mother had died in the intensive care unit, uh, hypertension, which, as you said, a lot of African Americans have that hypertension. And uh, you were feeling angry for the first year, and I know we've got a lot of people out there. Can you talk a little bit about your anger? I mean, what was your number one thing? And you were saying that men have permission to be angry. I love that because I know there are a lot of women out there saying, you know, why can't I be angry too? So that is right. great. Well, uh, deaf educators tell us that anger is one of the stages, the universal human experiences in bereavement that anger is a common emotion. Um, it is particularly so when we look at the cause of death. I think when there is an unnatural cause of death or something that is sudden or traumatic, like a sudden death experience, that usually uh, tends to um, uh, rob us of any kind of preparation, any kind of, um, you know, getting ready. So... When there's a sudden tragic death, usually often anger is a challenge for survivors. And um, were you, you know, were my, you surprised at your response? Yes, I was. I was. I was. I, I was very surprised because I was surprised at how angry I was. Uh, I found myself intolerant. Just being in a public place and the people were laughing, I found it offensive. You know, mm-hmm. because I was in such pain, I couldn't imagine what other people found enjoyable in the world. So when I found people being frivolous or laughing or I, I found those those places uncomfortable for me because I was always irritated and I found myself just gruffy and just, you know, very grumpy and, you know, just miserable, uh, just indiscriminate anger at anybody, blowing my horn at people in traffic. And, and I, I told my students, I was, Teaching and I told my students, I said, this semester I'm not going to be very uh, happy to be around. Don't expect me to come in class smiling and, you know, uh, being very um, cheery. I said, that's not where I'm at. So uh, You know, I love I, that you said that to them, Ron, because yes. I think that, that one of the things I think we people need to do early when we're feeling that way is we need to let people know. Don't you think, Heidi? Absolutely, and I think it's a good way to, yeah, to, to educate the world. Look, I've had a, a significant event. My mother died, and I'm going to be a grouch. I mean, yeah. it's kind of good role modeling for people, I think. Yeah, and it wasn't so much that I was giving myself unconditional permission to just be mean to people. I was mm-hmm. just explaining to people, if I'm not smiling, if I'm not perking, if, if I'm not my usual self, it's because of what I'm going through. So... I was being very honest, emotionally honest. So being emotionally honest with people in our world and in our lives, I think, is a very good thing, particularly as we're dealing with challenges of loss. Now, did you have any other special things that you did or special things that you might recommend to somebody in the first year if they're feeling really angry? Um, Well, I think uh, awareness is very important. I had to... um, I had to be very careful with myself in terms of making sure that I stayed on top of the anger. With men especially, anger and unresolved grief, I think, is one of my contentions, is one of the primary setups for violence. Uh, the high propensity of violence among men uh, as perpetrators, I think, is well documented. You know, in terms of all forms of aggression and violence, men are the primary perpetrators. And I think particularly around issues of loss, we've seen lots of examples of men uh, spiraling out of control and doing damage to themselves and to other people 
uh, sometimes uh, in, in, in the, uh, the intensity of their grief. So I think it's very important to be on, on top of that. The self-awareness was very important for me to not self-destruct or to unfairly and indiscriminately, you know, just take out my uh, wrath on other people. Right. Now, what so, did you find with um, the African-American community as far as rituals went, mm-hmm. funeral rituals? What, what helped you? Um, I found um, I found I had to create my own rituals of um, letting go, and as I continued through my own grief and bereavement in terms of healing, uh, I was able to find peace, you know, one day at a time in terms of being able to realize that uh, what I was going through was a normal thing. Uh, surprisingly enough, one of the questions that my students, a lot of people ask, is that, well, being a grief counselor, did it make it any easier? Uh, surprisingly, although I knew the script, I knew what I should be going through, I did not have any exemption. I love you know? that. You've got a road map, but you still take the trip. That's what I say because I was in the same same area. Well, you know, the African-American community, it seems to me, now, I may be wrong, but my daughter recently, uh, she teaches art and yoga, and uh, to incarcerated girls, and she recently, one of her students uh, was murdered, and she went to a funeral in Oakland, and she uh, was very impressed with the way uh, this girl's community and church, how active they were in singing and, and going up to the body, and, you know, she felt that there there was really a lot of wonderful community going on. Is Is that the case? Yes, African American funerals tend to be very celebratory. We we call them, we often refer to them as celebrations of life, or to celebrate the person's life. And oftentimes, there's quite a bit of jubilation um, and sadness. So, uh, like many of the funeral anthems that we hear in the African American culture, you know, soon and very soon, you know, it's a very upbeat, jubilant uh, celebration about the left, the life of someone, um, and um, the belief that there is a better life, there's something better on the other side. So I think uh, within the black experience, within the African-American experience, uh, oftentimes death is seen as um, a point of respite where people can lay their burdens down, there's no more hardship, uh, um, troubles and worries, discrimination, all of those things uh, are in the past. Mm-hmm. So going to a point of rest uh, is often perceived as a good thing. So mm-hmm. they're, going to, they're going to an easier world? In the, is that the belief, kind of? They're yes. going to an easier life in the next world? I, li- I right. like that. Mm-hmm. I like right. that idea. I think one of the things that's consistent across most um Black cultures, African Americans, Africans, um, especially, is um, a belief in the afterlife that there's something beyond the physical experience. Mm-hmm. I think blacks, wherever you find them, with few exceptions, generally tend to believe that there's something beyond the physical experience. So there's a belief in the afterlife, and that tends to be uh, fairly consistent across most. Um, blacks and African-Americans that you encounter. Um, That's good. Well, Ron, I wanted to ask you before we enter the show, because I am so impressed with what you're doing right now, I know you're in the parking lot of a funeral home, and you're wow. going to be taking your students there. Could you tell us a little bit about that and, and what your goal is and, and about your work at Marymount? Are you at Marymount University? Loyola Marymount, yep. 
Yes, Loyola yeah. Marymount. Yeah. I'm teaching a, a, a seminar on death and dying. I have a small group of students, and part of the design of my class every semester is that I take students to site visits in the community so that they can have some first-hand exposure and experience with uh, with death care institutions. So we visited a uh, mortuary. Uh, today we're at a cemetery mortuary uh, so that the students can have a first-hand experience. This is also part of their midterm. Their midterm uh, project is that they have to design their own funerals um, with a complete budget, and all of the details as if they were doing the real thing. So um, this is a, an immersion experience for them because uh, for many students who've never even set foot in a funeral home, this is a uh, eye-opening experience. The other uh, important thing about the project is it teaches students what the myriad of decisions families have to make in a short amount of time uh, under great duress. So they're getting... Uh, an amazing uh, <clears throat> baptism by fire in terms of seeing firsthand what people experience when they're having to make decisions. Oh, my God. Uh, That's an yeah. incredible thing. And also, you it must bring up for certain students, you must be dealing with some of their past things also. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. What a, what a first, fabulous way to learn and really experience you know, yeah, the first time I taught this class, the students had half of the students had a choice of either designing the funeral for a loved one or doing it for themselves. And I found that the students who choose to plan their own funeral had a much more impactful experience because they had to write their own obituary. They had wow. to choose what clothes they, they were going to wear, so on and so forth. So I've required students to do it for themselves, and it's far more impactful. Well, how, yeah, how fantastic to really take a look at your life. And we're going to be talking to Irv Yalom in the next segment. And uh, I'm going to be interested to hear what he has to say about this because uh, I know that, um, you know, the idea that knowing, you know, confronting your own death makes life uh, even, even better, which is very interesting. Ron, I want to say thank you so much for being on the show. And uh, we'll see you at ADAC. I hope will you be there, the Association of Death Educators Conference. Yes, I'm looking forward to being in Kansas City, and um, uh, I certainly uh, look forward to um, seeing you at the conference. Absolutely. It's just been great having you on the show, hasn't it, Hyde? Absolutely. Thank you so much, Ron. And please go to our website and, w and watch Ron's YouTube video. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's Thanks. a pleasure to be able to share with you. It's been great having you on the show, and, and good luck. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.